0: Oh, you're recording now.
1: Yeah, I want you to sing something. Hmm.
0: Put me on the spot. I got to think I was going to go with somewhere over the rainbow.
1: (laughs) That'd be a good one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Exercise Mechanic, your monthly show on all things exercise science pain science, mindset, and more. Today, we're joined by Ryan Taylor, who's, uh, this is long overdue, but Ryan's very much been in the, I would say, in the background of the exercise mechanic, as well as OFS, contributing to this initiative in both indirect and also very direct ways, giving me a a swift kick in the ass the few times that I've needed it to get the ball rolling. Um, So, Long, uh, it. We don't really need to say it, but in any case, this is very much overdue. Uh, Ryan and I have many conversations behind the scenes, so it's nice to do one formally, and uh, hopefully this will be the first of many. Um, I would very much describe Ryan as being a lifelong learner, someone with a very keen mind, very pragmatic views on all facets of life. Um, today, we're going to be focusing largely, of course, on exercise science, and he just recently started this new initiative called Evolution Performance which is a new initiative that's going to be providing online coaching as well as some programming. Uh, Did I get that right, Ryan?
0: Yeah. Pretty spot on.
1: Yeah. Okay. Sweet. Well, welcome to the show, man. Like I said, this is very, very much overdue. And I know we've both been wanting to do something like this for a while.
0: Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. Um, I know we did a bunch of stuff last summer, so I've been kind of itching at it to do this.
1: For sure. Yeah. We were kind of keeping each other busy during the first few waves of COVID by doing, yeah. you know, weekly or bi-weekly conversations on his mm-hmm. Instagram. Um, so if you're interested in checking those out, um, what's your new handle now on, on IG? Uh,
0: so it's evolutionperformance.ep. Beautiful. Amazing.
1: All right. So, um, so today's topic, what we're going to be starting off with is a, um, a topic that's very near and dear to both Ryan and I's hearts, which is the topic of critical thinking. Um, and I think it would be really interesting. I'll kind of pass the microphone metaphorically, of course, to you, Ryan, um, how would you define critical thinking and also why is it important or crucial in the fitness space in your opinion?
0: Yeah, I think critical thinking first and foremost, I think starts with the willingness to be wrong. Um, and frankly, I think it is the ability to just look at uh data or evidence that is in front of you and being able to evaluate it uh with the least amount of bias possible. Obviously bias is impossible to um completely eliminate, um, but doing the best that you can to look at whatever the case is that's in front of you and try to, I think, attain as close to the truth as possible. Um in regards to the fitness industry, I honestly I'd say I'm obviously biased. Uh of I think it. <laughs> I think it's applicable to anything. Um, the things I think that we'll talk about today, and how it applies to fitness and coaching, and and being a trainer or whatever else. Uh, really, I think you could extrapolate that to uh, frankly anything where you're faced with um, a position or an argument that's being made. Uh, I think the same skills apply to uh, sort of all of the above. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I mean, while you're, while you're kind of talking there, it really kind of made me think that like to grow in almost any category of life, it requires the ability to be wrong, you know, like actually actually being okay with it. Um, Why do you think that that's so hard for people? Sometimes not everybody, of course, but why do you think that that gets in the way?
0: I think a big thing, honestly, is. Uh, two things i think number one insecurity and i don't mean that to be mean, but i think we don't like to be wrong and we often perceive being wrong as like some sort of attack on our character like if we're wrong we're bad um and i don't think that that's the case so oftentimes even if we might think that we're wrong we'll almost dig our heels in harder because we can't sort of accept this idea of like oh if i'm wrong that I'm bad and I'm worthless or, or whatever it is. So I I think there's a fair degree of insecurity that revolves around this idea of not allowing ourselves to be wrong. Um, yeah, I I was going to say two points, but quite honestly, I think that's the biggest one. Um, as I was kind of talking, I was like, you know, what? I think that our inability to allow ourselves to be wrong is incredibly emotionally driven. um, and, uh, it, I, I, think it does interfere with our ability to properly investigate. truths.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, the the book, uh, mindset by Carol Dweck, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of, you know, she highlights the differences between a growth and a fixed mindset. And, um, I can honestly, like, this has been one of the big battles of my, I'm going to say adult life, even though I still feel like a kid, the majority of the time. Um, and, and, and it's about. Recognizing that I've had a fixed mindset in so many different ways in so many different categories mm-hmm. and developing the ability to um like navigate failure without it being a knock on my character. You mentioned worth earlier, um, but being able to say yes, I'm wrong, and that doesn't make me any less of a man, any less of a human being, you know. Um, it doesn't make me less valuable or less relevant. Or less worthy of worthy of love, you know, if we were to kind of try to tie it back to what are some of our prime motivators as human beings. Um, and I really, you know, I, I think I think back to my childhood a lot in terms of like how how things were reinforced, you know, it's like congratulations on getting such a great grade, or you're so good at this. You know, so very much kind of reinforcing and and applauding and congratulating the end results. More so than the process of like effort and trying and, and, and stumbling and smashing your face on the ground occasionally, you know? Um, and, I, you know, I obviously this is like not a knock on my parents. I love them tremendously, but I definitely look back and it's like, okay, um, certain things, I would say more so like end results were glorified and congratulated more so than um. Than the process. And I'm, I'm curious, like even like with your with your clients, because I know you do a as of late anyways, with, with gyms opening up, you're doing a lot of work one-on-one yeah. with people. Um, is that something that you keep in mind when you're working with your clients, um, specifically like the language you use and the reinforcement that you provide?
0: Yeah. And actually, before I get to that, I wanted to, as you were speaking, something else popped in my head, which is I think if you want to learn how to be able to remove yourself um, and and kind of allow yourself to be wrong is you need to be able to understand that your opinions aren't you. And that sounds maybe a little bit interesting
1: and and, and maybe
0: counterintuitive, but it's like, tell me more your position. uh, Sorry. Your opinion is just the position that you hold on a particular topic. And it isn't necessarily um, descriptive of who you are as a human being. So, I'm, I don't want to go down this road, but I'm just gonna use this as an no, example, please. but like, <laughs> just because again, like, here's a topic that's highly emotionally driven right now, but someone says like, oh, so-and-so is an anti-vaxxer. Mm, yes. Yeah. So we have this tendency if we want to attribute people's position on something to their identity. Um, and and maybe internally we do the same thing. Like your position becomes your identity. I think it's why people strive to have in groups. Um, it's kind of in human nature that we want to have this sense of belonging and then our opinions become this identity. Whereas in reality, you just have a a, a position on a particular, um, topic. Mm -hmm. And I am of the opinion personally that I think that ideally what we want to try to do is investigate truth to the best of our ability. And if we have, if we can a say, I'm not what my opinion is like I'm different than what the truth is. And all I'm trying to do is come closer to what the truth is. My opinion on that isn't a reflection of me. It's just a reflection of my ability to obtain the information that gets me closer to what that truth is. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so that that's the way that i look at it so i'm willing to be wrong because if i'm wrong it means that i'm not going to hold a position of untruth and i would like to get closer to whatever the true answer is of whatever the particular uh, argument or topic is mm. as opposed to like digging my heels in in a position that might not be correct and if i'm unwilling to listen to um arguments or evidence that might that might counter uh, contradict what my position is like if i listen to that there might be evidence that says oh crap like this thing that i thought to be true maybe isn't and if i listen to that i'm going to get closer to what the actual truth is and if it doesn't attack my identity i'm probably going to allow myself to do that mm-hmm.
1: that feels like such a major distinction that sounds perhaps so simple at surface level but I could see how in practice that would be really tough. Yeah. Um, what could you give me an example of, perhaps, where you've seen this? Perhaps I don't, don't want to uh, butcher what you just said, but mm-hmm. where a rigidity of the self, perhaps, where we mistake our views for our sense of self or for our identity. Do you uh, have you noticed that anywhere in particular within the fitness space, in particular, to kind of bring it back home?
0: Yeah. Um absolutely and I think I like a lot of people have been that person before. Um there's probably a couple of key points that I can think of um where I think critical thinking skills were really um valued and were um kind of brought to the forefront something that I was I was encouraged to develop. Uh this is going to be a long answer to your question, but Got I help. remember the, the first time I had a teacher in high school, uh, both in grade 10 and grade 11, taught me history, and then he taught me psychology. And he uh, had two things I used to say. So the first was, uh, you know, a lot of people, if they read like a journal uh, journal entry or something like that, um, were used to the who, what, where, when, why, that whole idea. And first of all, his thing was, so what?
1: I love that. his other
0: thing was, you um, learning how to practice your bullshit detector Mm -hmm. and like having this ability to sniff out when stuff kind of sounds like bullshit. And that was kind of the first time I'd heard people um, as informal as it sounds, but start to talk about critical thinking as like this skill. Mm -hmm. Um, And then fast forward, probably these two things were closely related, but it was uh, conversations actually you and I had. So they're both right around the time that I had taken RTS um, whatever year that was, um, for
1: those, for those that are listening that don't know what that is, that stands for the resistance resistance training specialist, um, which at that time I was an
0: instructor carry on. Yeah. So I was a student. And so first of all, a conversation that we had was basically, um, always questioning your own beliefs because one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to examine whatever the information is again, and it's just going to affirm the position that you have and you can feel more confident in it. Or you're going to find things that show that whatever belief that you have is maybe incorrect. And then you can get closer to actually believing the thing that's true. Um, and questioning your own beliefs and your own stances on things is always going to be a positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and this led to, I believe it was the first weekend that we had done uh, the resistance training specialist in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And, at the time i was still competing in powerlifting it was very much um i i think dogmatic in my views uh, in strength training and and some of the practices that went on in that um and i know myself and probably a few other students that were in the class found some of the topics that we discussed it almost challenged our identity because it was like no like powerlifting is this thing or somebody else's like. Uh, no cardio cardio training is the best thing ever and you, you make these uh assertions that are uh, a little too black and white and we started to pick away at that a little bit more and i think actually i think you were the one that had called it belief camps
1: yeah yeah so within rts it's this idea of like belief
0: teams belief teams yeah 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 for sure um and anyway so that was where and and i, I think once you Flip your mind to it a little bit and you start to look at that. I think the fitness industry has a shitload of that. (laughs) There's the people like, I have no other way of putting it, but there's the people that like, no, barbells are the best thing ever. Everything else is stupid. Mm -hmm. Or uh, machines are the worst thing you can ever use. Don't ever use them. Or like so on and so forth. And you see this with nutrition like, carbs are the worst thing for you to eat. Or you should eat tens and tons of carbs or never eat carbs after bed. like only and and there's these big claims that get made and people there are all these hills that people are willing to die on, mm-hmm. um, and I I think it's everywhere. And uh, I I've thought about this a lot. I think one of the really big things why we end up in that position, I think in particular in sort of the health and fitness world, um, more so than maybe other industries, is I think the gaps in literature are quite big. Okay, so there are pretty big spaces for people to make inferences um and there is scarce data in certain areas the research is like got some holes in it um where like if you look at as research
1: does
0: (laughs) as research does but let's put it this way like yeah how many billions of dollars do you think are spent in research for pharmaceuticals like more than i can probably wrap my head around Mm-hmm. Big numbers. Yeah. How many people are funding research? That's like, how do we get this guy's muscles big? Mm-hmm. Probably not a lot. Mm-hmm. And 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 because I like this kind of stuff, like I pay attention to a lot of uh, research that comes out and different studies that are performed. And yeah, like there's there's not a lot of data that's available. Um, they don't tell the whole story, so it allows for almost this infiltration of these belief teams um, because people start to put their stamp on and they say, no, this is what it says. And they dig their heels in. Um, And I think that that can happen because there isn't always a whole lot of concrete data that's available. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, it's like, if we were to think about like what, research provides like research provides very specific data points about very specific things. Um, And I think we were talking about this the other day. It's like, you can't explain an entire beach with one grain of sand, you know, and it doesn't mean that that grain of sand itself is not relevant. It's just that it's a grain and it, and it occurs within a context. And, and I think that I mean, at least for, for, for me, I find the, the fitness space itself is relatively quote unquote, for lack of a better term, like juvenile, like a lot of us just don't have formal training really like other Mm -hmm. than the weekend certification, which is a great first step. I think, you know, that the industry has needed, but I think we'll eventually need to evolve beyond that. But, um, you know, like. When you go to school, hopefully, you know knock on knock on wood. If you go get a degree or a master's, throughout that time, critical thinking is cultivated, and yeah. perhaps people have a greater appreciation of what do studies provide. You know, they don't necessarily provide an absolute truth that permeates all contexts. It provides a very context-specific snapshot of yeah. a of a thing, um, and so then we take that, and then there's inferences that are made throughout multiple contexts. Um, I think that that's, like you were saying, like an issue with the literature for sure, but then also like perhaps a lack of an appreciation of what does, what does literature actually provide in the first place? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like this is something that I've needed to kind of learn over the years, but had I been told that when -hmm. I was younger or whatever, perhaps it would made it would have made that whole process a lot easier.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a couple of other things. I think, um, most people in the fitness industry, like you said, are probably not academically trained. I shouldn't say most, there are people in the fitness industry that are not academically trained. Uh, and I don't necessarily think that you need to be, but if you're somebody that likes to, to read research, um, being able to actually understand what you're reading. So like understanding what standard deviation from a mean is, understanding what P values are like, is the data set that you're collecting, like, is it a reliable data set? Uh, or is it just noise? Right, like you can have studies that say something, but they might be statistically insignificant because the p-values like demonstrate that this data is bunk. Every single um, time
1: you say p-value, I giggle a little bit.
0: <laughs> it's like anytime anyone ever uh, says pianist, I can't help but laugh. Um, but yeah, so that's one thing. Uh, the second thing, and this is probably something again where you and I share the same belief. I think that. Critical thinking skills aren't just like, think hard about something. They, it isn't a soft skill. I genuinely think it's a hard skill. And what I mean by that is, uh, I'll kind of go two directions here. The first is whatever the particular topic is that you're trying to learn about, understand like the base components, understand the mechanisms. So if you understand, in if we're talking in sort of the fitness realm, if you understand physiology, if you understand anatomy, if you understand... Uh, like energy systems. If you understand the mechan- like if you start to create this breadth of understanding about the human body, when you're presented with like such and such study says this, or this meta-analysis says this, you can be like, Hmm, does that make sense? Like my bullshit detector is founded by my fundamental understanding of whatever the topic is. Like if I can't contextualize something, I have no idea if it makes sense. So like a, a Right. An example that I like using, because uh, to me, it's one of the most outrageous things I've heard. So there was a study that was done, it's a few years ago now, um, and I believe it was done in Temple University in Philadelphia. I can't remember what the guy's name is, uh, but he had popularized at one point <clears throat> blood flow restriction training being done for the purpose of hypertrophy. Because uh, at the time, the efficacy of blood flow restriction training was pretty like widely accepted in like rehabilitative uh, settings, Um, and he had demonstrated that you get a muscle growth response with blood flow restriction training. So that was sort of his claim to fame. So he did this other study, and I believe it was a three-week study done with untrained participants at the university. And they uh, they had a, a couple of different lifts. I think it was like a bench press, a squat, like a bicep curl, something along those lines. So they had a couple of lifts that they did. They tested their max strength on it, and they also did. I believe a DEXA scan to see what their lean body tissue was. Right. And then three weeks later, they retested what their maxes are and then they redid the DEXA scan. And what they showed was pretty conclusively, everybody basically got stronger and almost nobody put on any muscle mass whatsoever. No muscle mass. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So if you just remember that, heard that you'd be like, so I, and I believe the conclusion of the study was that. Uh, increases in strength were not correlated to increases in muscular size. And anybody who's ever lifted a weight in their fucking life knows that that's not true. Like, it doesn't take it. Like if you go, if you were to like walk into a classroom and be like, Hmm, like I need somebody to like help me move my truck. You're going to scan who's the biggest fucking guy in this class. Cause he's probably going to be the strongest and he's going to help me. But the thing is, is like, if we understand that number one, like neurological adaptations happen quick. Mm-hmm. Physiological adaptations kind of lag behind. Mm. We also understand that probably, I can't remember exactly what the training protocol was, but you get an inflammatory response to training, which blunts like uh, hypertrophy. Mm. That's one of the reasons why you don't actually build a lot of tissue at the very beginning, assuming that they probably their volume was too high because most people's base, um, like minimum effective dose is quite low. Right. So they had this massive inflammatory response, so they didn't gain any muscle. Because it was too got, excessive? Is
1: that what you because mean? Because it was too excessive. I got you.
0: They've, like, we've demonstrated that with other studies with um, uh, anti-inflammatory drugs and stuff like that as well. Anyway, um, so their inflammation is really, really high, so they don't get this physiological adaptation. As the inflammation goes down, now they start to gain gain muscle growth, but it doesn't happen in three weeks. Mm like anybody who's lifted weights, like, I I don't know, I've never had three, three weeks have anything like look different on my body.
1: Yeah. And this is where like, like taking into account, wouldn't say not so much the context, but having an understanding of the components helps you dissect that thing. If you, if you didn't have not only experience in the trenches, but an understanding of, um, like, like, physiology and like kind of sort of how it pertains to the process of hypertrophy and what the client journey tends to look like for novice exercisers intermediate or advanced the fact that you have that baseline knowledge gives you the opportunity to look at this thing critically and to sniff out the bullshit yeah right whereas if you don't have those things and also if it just hasn't been fostered as a hard skill then you might just take it at
0: face value. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, and that's exactly the point I was making where if you have an understanding of some of the underlying mechanisms, you can look at a study like that and be like, does this thing make sense or not? Um, the, the second part that I was going to go to in terms of it being a hard skill. Uh, and this is something that I did probably a lot more in the last, year and a half or so um this was part of my pandemic like filling my time uh i got a little bit more interested in uh, not philosophy on on a whole but actually essentially critical thinking skills Mm -hmm. and in particular like how do we evaluate evidence um like how do we evaluate the quality of evidence so like not all evidence is the same Uh, we really like anecdotal evidence as people are inherently emotional beings and and stories really like um like um, what's the word i'm looking for here like stories mean something to us right we have this emotional response whether that story is actually representative of the truth or not right so anecdotal evidence is not particularly useful in the grand scheme of evidence that you can find um Also understanding like what, who has the burden of proof, like when you're, when you're making a particular claim. And -hmm. the other thing is also being able to understand like how to, how to, I think, see in other people's arguments, but also in our, in our own arguments when we have fallacious reasoning. So like I I kind of said it before, but like appeal to emotion is probably the most common one. Like we we're emotional people and Mm -hmm. things make us feel something. So then we believe it to be true. And those two things don't necessarily equate to one another. Or um, anyway, there's a variety. And this was something that I got really interested in. And it allowed me, I think, A, to tighten up my own skills of, of re-examining some of my positions on certain things, whether it was fitness related or not. And be like, hmm, like, does this make sense? Like, Is what I believe to be true reasonable or not? Mm-hmm. And then when I heard other people make certain assertions and certain claims, like I could say, Hmm, I'm going to use those same tools and does this person's argument make sense? And if it didn't, I, I, you start to get a little bit better. be like, Hey, this is the point where their argument falls apart. And it doesn't mean that their argument is wrong per se, but it certainly means that there's a flaw in their reasoning. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. And I find like that process is really, is really, 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 I wouldn't say challenging, but, um, you, you obviously know Casey Easton and, yeah. uh, she shared something the other day that, um, it really made me giggle. It was like, uh, sometimes being really stubborn looks like, you know, uh, I don't know, like listening to your heart and, and, and doing it anyways. And it's kind of a dumb thing to do, but then also on the flip side, sometimes wisdom presents as being exactly the same thing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, like externally, like taking a certain action, um, once again, it really kind of depends on context, whether or not you're being just resistant to change or if it's actually like wisdom that's leading the way and, and it's, Mm -hmm. and it's rooted in thinking. And I find that it's really challenging in our own lives to kind of parse through you know, like, what are my motivations for X, Y, or Z? Like, it can become really challenging to, at least in my experience, I don't know if you would agree with this, to, like, remove yourself and to think objectively, like, as subjective beings, you know, Mm -hmm. like, to sniff out your own bullshit. Like, I find that is... Really, really tough. And this is the kind of thing that has led, even for me in my life, it's kind of in in some different contexts, it's kind of led to paralysis where I'm like, okay, I don't know if I can trust my own opinion right now. Like, I don't know if I'm the thing that's in the way to the progress that I seek or if I'm onto something and I should remain steadfast and push.
0: Do you know what I mean by that? I do. But I would. I think the arena that you're playing in matters. And what I mean by that is I would differentiate if I'm investigating something that I think there's a hard truth. So like, is the earth flat yes. or is the earth round? Something like that. I know I'm kind of using leader. Although there is a like not insignificant portion of the population that thinks it's flat, but anyway, I,
1: I um actually just on the flat earth thing. I don't want to derail this. Yeah. I I stumbled upon a piece of evidence the other day um, that proves unequivocally that the flat earth hypothesis is wrong. And it's just, it's the truth that if it was flat, cats would have pushed everything fucking off of it by now.
0: <laughs> I think I've seen those memes too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think it was a if that, sticker. If that doesn't
0: convince you, I don't know what else does.
1: <laughs> yeah. The cats, man, it's the cats. Yeah, cats are such assholes
0: too. I've had a cat like look at me, and there'll be like a glass on the table, and it's staring at you, and it's like, yeah, you got to pick that up now. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Yeah. slave. Um, I apologize for derailing you. Okay, Uh, I think we pretty much know that the internet is run by cats. So that's true. That's true. (laughs) But yeah. So anyway, so I think like when you're investigating things that have hard truths or not and i and i would say like as much as obviously context matters in physiology and training decisions there's still like um there's still things that are like a hard science if you know what i mean and i think in that case trying to remove emotion from your decision making process is an incredibly good idea but there is another arena which is when we're dealing with things that are emotional in nature incorporating emotion as a part of our decision making process makes sense so like who are the people that we have in our lives like the relationships that we have the friendships that we hold um the things that feel good to us so on and so forth like we're trying to get to a place that gives us a certain emotion so i think taking into account your emotion about that thing makes sense like it is a part of the um like data that you need to examine if i'm looking at like what happens mechanically to this person's knee i'm going to take neurology out of this for a second but like if what ha- like what happens to this person's knee how i feel about it doesn't fucking matter like, uh, again, I'll use this as an example. It's like, um, cause I've been this guy, like bench presses are the best thing for chest development. i use that as an example. Sure. Maybe in some cases that might be true, but I'd make the argument for the vast majority of people that that's not the case. Um, mainly because like your hands being fixed to the bar means the path that your upper arm takes isn't really congruent Like your hands being fixed doesn't allow the exercise to be congruent with what your joint wants to do. Mm. And like, I don't care how you feel about bench pressing or not. Now, if you want to, if you say bench pressing is really good to be good at bench pressing or bench pressing is really important to be good at powerlifting. That's a different argument. Mm. But if you said like bench pressing is the best thing for pec development or pec mechanics, like I I don't think that's the case. Um, And I like, great if you like bench pressing but it still doesn't change the answer you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yeah that does make sense um you mentioned that one of your one of your teachers when you were younger your history and and psychology psychology. teacher um Kind of started to help cultivate like the like the fundamentals of critical thinking without calling it that. And one of the things that he talked about was the bullshit detector, yeah. and I think that that would be a really great thing um, as we're starting to kind of approach like the last third of of um, of today's show would be to kind of perhaps share like how do you like describe to us your bullshit detector in terms of perhaps how you detect. Perhaps rigidity mm-hmm. in belief systems in others. Yeah. And also, how do you turn it against yourself to be able to kind of like detect your own bullshit, so to yeah. speak? Like, what would that process look like in both of those circumstances?
0: Yeah. Frankly, I think it's the same either way. Um, so I'll kind of answer it for both because uh, I would just apply the same process to myself. I think that's what I certainly recently I've tried to do more. again, it's like my opinions are not me. so I, I can differentiate the two. So I just try to critically analyze the things that I might think um and that's not necessarily a reflection on who i am. Um, so I would kind of do the same either way. I think you use actually the word that I was going to use, which is when someone like makes a statement that's really rigid, Sometimes that's true. That's true, but that's kind of my first red flag. Um, and I think a lot of that is paying attention to language, mm. like always, never, um, so on and so. Or even like phrases like "I feel." There's certain words that people might use right. that start to give you a little bit of a like pause. Doesn't necessarily mean what they are saying is bullshit, but it's kind of like the first red flag. So either really rigid language or like emotional language. I think is of is kind of the first one.
1: That's what I was going to say for me. Like for me it it almost has less to do with what they're saying and more so with the how. Like yeah. cuz you met, you mentioned language and for me the language that I would, that I bias is body language and intonation. Yeah. Um whenever I see defensiveness essentially just written all over their physiology, mm-hmm. for me it's like okay, there might be a little something here that's a little bit of a red flag. Um and uh yeah, sometimes you know you 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 pause and then you re-engage. Um
0: Mm -hmm. and and I think a lot of the time, because if you listen to people who are not always, but if you generally listen to people who are academics and pay attention to the language that they use, there are words that are written into their speech that allow for the possibility of being wrong. Mm -hmm. So they'll say, sometimes in this situation. This possibility exists, so on and so forth. Like they'll use language that is like based on the data set that we had available. This is the best conclusion that we could draw. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say so. Like this is another. Uh, this is, would be a logical fallacy. I think it's post hoc, something propter propter hoc. I can't remember the name of it. But it's if B came after A, it doesn't mean that A caused B. Mm-hmm. But people will be like this happened and then this happened. So then this caused this, right? Are we um, are we
1: are you kind of making reference to how people tend to infer causation from correlation? Correct.
0: Okay. Correct. So th- that would just be one example. But again, like the language that somebody is using, I think gives a little bit of insight into uh I, I think how reasonable their claim is or how reasonable their stance is. So that's mm-hmm. kind of the first bullshit thing. Um, honestly, I just ask why a lot, either I ask why, or like, uh, just follow up questions like, Oh, how do you know that? Like, Oh, like, where did you see that? That kind of thing. And, and sometimes people don't have an answer and that's a pretty strong one for me to be like, meh, I'm not really going to take what they're saying all that seriously. Mm Um, and then I think if they've read it from somewhere or if they've heard it somewhere is what's the credibility of that source. It's like, Oh, I saw it on a YouTube video. Now, I like those really, um, informative YouTube videos and stuff. But if you're like, I saw it on a Joe Rogan podcast, like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: That's so very it, different than like a seminar done by Andrew Huberman from Stanford or something that Mike Gisertel is putting together or,
0: um, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. So that like credibility of source, Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, so I I think there's kind of this layered approach and like I'll ask questions. I'll pay attention to the language that they use. And the thing that I do as well is if I'm so inclined, I always look it up for myself Mm -hmm. because I, so I'll use this as an example. It's not fitness related, but I, a client of mine sent me a podcast and uh, I haven't made it all the way through it, but it was uh, talking about climate change, global warming, whatever else. And it was one of the guys who was one of the original founders of Greenpeace. Um, Yeah, and and what he was taking a position that was not this extreme position of like global warming is not real; it's all fake. But he was somewhere like in the middle. He he had this not ludicrous stance, and he said a lot of things. uh, And he had like he has a science background, and he said a lot of things that sounded incredibly reasonable. That were in contrast to a lot of the things that we often see. Right. And as much as he had this very credible background, a lot of the things that he said weren't these massive claims. Um, mechanistically, some of the stuff that he was talking about made sense. I still didn't take what he said and go, Oh, like, ah, that's the truth now. I go, Hmm, like those are some really interesting talking points. I'm going to read about them myself. Uh, and I think that that's a really important thing is like, even if it's somebody that you respect, even if, if it's someone that you think is really credible, I always think it's worth investigating for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my so basically my bullshit detector is on, even if I think that they're a really good like source. Yeah. Um, as I it, always, I want to know myself Sorry. Go as ahead. it,
1: as it should be, you know, I mean, in the pursuit of, truth or in the pursuit of accumulating nuance and accuracy within topics and domains that are interesting and relevant to you. Um, I think like, yeah, taking that approach is, is essential for lifelong learning. Mm -hmm. Number one. Um, and you know, it's, it's one of those things that I find, uh, I've seen this a lot with my students where they'll ask me a question, because they know that I have a stance on it and oh man it's just I I want nothing more than to just give them what I think is what I think is right. I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for that there's definitely like ego validation and a whole bunch of other you know um, less self-serving um, motivations there but in any case, more often than not, what I encourage them is like, you know, I'll ask them one, did you look into this yet? Like, did you research it yourself first? And if you haven't, I will not talk to you about it. I will though, once you do a little bit of your research, and then we can have a little bit of a jam session, so to speak, where we kind of smash ideas together and kind of see what comes out, you know? Um, But I find that is really important. And for me, the, like the place where that was fostered to the greatest degree was RTS for me as well with Tom, where, you know, it was actually before that with Peter, um, I would say one of my first mentors who taught muscle activation techniques, um, where he would, you know, we would be talking about something and it was funny. (laughs) Uh, I said something about, you know, something going up the chain and he was like, which one I was like, what do you mean? He's like, kinetic or kinematic? I was like, fuck. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I have no idea, you know? Um, and he wasn't saying it to like belittle me, but I think what he was, he was, he aimed to just expose that there was perhaps a soundbite or there was, there was something that was, you know, that I was very confident about. That was very much kind of like an illusion of, of of understanding, or perhaps surface level understanding, mm-hmm. and his question prompted me to look a little bit deeper, and and it was very much the impetus to even go on that whole journey in the first place,
0: you know. Yeah, it makes me think a lot of uh, the Dunning Kruger effect, if you're familiar with that. Huge fan. Yeah, and and uh, I think again, certainly myself, I don't want to speak for you. I've been, I think at all points on that where oh, yeah. I knew I knew nothing. And then I knew a little bit, and I thought I knew everything. Uh, and I think I'm probably at a place now where like, I'm incredibly confident in the things I know. And I don't know. Um, and I've actually, I've joked with a couple people before. Um, Cause I am absolutely that guy with clients, colleagues, friends, whatever. Um, you know, people say like, don't talk about politics and don't ask people what they make. I ask people about like all of that shit. And I talk about it with everybody because I think it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am like the, the most frustrating person to have a debate with because when I don't know, I just say, Oh, I don't know. And I go, Oh, I haven't read about that. Like I don't, I just don't take a position on stuff. I don't know. Mm. And because of that, like I, so I recently had a conversation with somebody we're talking about the the vac- uh, vaccine passport announcement, all that stuff. Yeah. She, like, asked what my position was. And, like, unsurprisingly, I have the least sexy position possible where there was, like, some points where, like, I agreed with her position completely. And I was like, yeah, these are, like, some of my causes for concern. I don't really know about that. Like, I just kind of had this soup of opinions that, like, really didn't look like anything and i could tell like she was like riled up for this debate and i like was like i don't know this is sort of where i'm at but like who knows you did, yeah
1: you didn't bite <laughs> you know and i think yeah. i think it's really cool to also share your thought process not just your stance yeah you know and this is the thing that um like as an educator that i really try to do and with you know shameless plug for upcoming internship that i'm working on as well is it's like i really don't care what your stance is until we talk about how you came to that answer yeah and um that's really the thing that that matters the most because i at least in my mind because i think like you know that which we believe is true today could be disproven tomorrow yeah um and so there is an element of i i think practicing having a certain amount of flexibility within our thought process is is an invaluable skill set that Needs to be practiced on a regular basis, and to use good life terminology like that saw needs to be sharpened on a regular basis because otherwise it like it gets rusty. It's yeah. so easy to fall into ruts, and like there and the comfort that comes with like the illusion of truth. Yeah, you know. Um, yeah, this is one of the things that I really appreciate a lot about our conversations. Is there tends to be, if not always, there's a neutrality. Mm Do the things that we discuss. And then from there, like I remember when we were in Toronto at one point, we were talking about a fatigued nervous system. I don't know if you remember that. We were sharing an Airbnb. Yeah, we were sharing an Airbnb and we were talking about stuff and we were talking about central nervous system fatigue. And I can't remember who brought it up, but in any case, at some point we were like, fuck, we're saying this thing and we actually don't know what it is. I think
0: that might have been
1: you. Yeah. Like it's just like, so then over the next 24 hours, we respectively kind of looked into it and then we talked about it, Yeah, you know, and we, then from there, we shared the data that we collected and then also our interpretation of that data. And it was, it was really, 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 really interesting. And so I find conversations of, you know, of this nature to be uh, really refreshing. Um, As we, as we start to kind of, uh, you know, come full circle and start to approach the end of our time together. Um, and there definitely will be a part two. So don't you worry uh, so long as we can get you on here. Cause I know you're a busy guy. Um, I'll make it work. I, <laughs> I'm curious if you had an opportunity to share a message with new trainers mm-hmm. as well as veteran trainers, what would you tell them? Would it be different? I'm just curious, you know, if you had an opportunity to share a message with those two populations, what would you say?
0: I think they'll more or less be the same for both, which is be willing to be wrong. Don't stop in your pursuit of learning. And I think in particular for trainers who are newer, pay attention to the trainers um, that do things the way that you like. And what I mean by that is like, most of us are going to start in a corporate gym setting. You've got 15 or other 20, 15 or 20 other trainers in your gym. Pay attention to how they conduct themselves. I think that you are you are the sum of the people who are closest to you. And I think if you be like, hmm, like those two trainers, like I really like how they talk to their clients, I really like their body language. Like, oh, they did this stuff that's really interesting. Uh, I really like like how they explain something. Like, pay attention to that. Like, take a little bit of a step outside your bubble. And honestly, be annoying, ask them tons of questions, be around them, like train with them, like do all that kind of stuff. I think associating yourself with people that conduct themselves professionally in a way that you aspire is a really good thing to do. Um, I I would honestly say the same for vet trainers as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's especially important as a a new trainer, because I think that influence can be massive and i I was really lucky i think um i had a few people pretty early in my career that were incredibly willing like i was super annoying i asked tons of questions all the time um and people didn't take offense to that usually people won't people like being being asked stuff and giving given an opportunity to sort of be the teacher Mm -hmm. um but yeah I, i i had people that i learned from a lot um and every stage along the way like i'm kind of crazy to, to think about it, but i'm like heading into my 10th year in the industry and i still seek out people that i think have uh things of value to teach me uh and i really really try to spend as much of my time and effort professionally speaking uh, and personally speaking around people who conduct themselves in a way that i value mm.
1: beautiful Um, so speaking of individuals that you're that you try to surround yourself with, is there anyone in particular right now whose content you're really interested in, who whose arguments you like? Is there anyone at this point that you're kind of geeking out on right now?
0: Um so there's a few. So I've kind of we've talked about this. Um I think let me back up. I was starting that sentence halfway in the middle. Um recently I've gotten more interested in like bodybuilding stuff. Um, as much as I am a trainer, uh, I always have my own like selfish athletic pursuits as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so following people who, again, like, uh, conduct themselves in a way that I really, really like, I really admire people that have discipline, um, people who check all the boxes. So just through, strictly through social media, a guy that i followed a lot is Hunter Lebrana. Um, and actually there's a number of other bodybuilders, but I also like his approach in terms of training style and diet and whatever else. Um, professionally speaking, uh, Joe Bennett is somebody that I've been really interested in lately. Okay. Um, Asim Hansen as well. Like I don't always love his delivery on stuff. Um, but I think he's an incredibly intelligent guy. Um, who's doing a lot of really interesting stuff with his lab uh, in his own sort of headquarters? Mm-hmm. Um, those are probably the the two. I mean, I I always like Mike Gizotel. Um, There's some stuff again that I think his understanding of mechanics is so-so. Um, but I think I actually want to use this as an opportunity to say because I did all these interviews and stuff uh, last year, just sort of for fun on on Instagram. That's right. Um, And I did a number with you. I did a number with Matt Burrell, a couple of other people that I knew. Um, And I was actually thinking about this on my drive uh, home yesterday or the day before that there was a few people. So uh, Mike Zutel, Andre Benoit, um, Stan Efferding, um, Justin Harris. I might be forgetting somebody, but they were like people who are big names in the industry.
1: Jordan Shallow's, I think, as well. Didn't you? you uh, Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. Jordan Shallow
0: as well. Um, Yeah. So, like, these are people that like have their own companies. Like, they didn't. I didn't pay them to do this at all. Um, In fact, like, I literally had like seen Jordan in Ottawa once, and like that was the like that was the most that I knew anybody that I had talked to. And I had just reached out to them. Um, I didn't pay them dick. And they took an hour at their time, sometimes an hour or more, uh, and like chatted with me and it was like a really, really cool experience. So I think, uh, recognizing that these people that really had no reason to give their time to me did, uh, was certainly something that I was really grateful for. Mm.
1: That's such a great sign too. I find of like an educator that is doing things for the right reasons. Like there's yeah. someone who is, a has a keen mind, who wants to learn, who's asking questions, say no more. I'm there yeah. if I can be, you know, yeah. in contrast to ex- to being driven exclusively or primarily by what's gonna be my return on investment from this thing. You know, mm-hmm. how much money am I gonna, am I gonna make? Um, it seems like a very narrow way to make decisions. And I find, yeah, finding educators who like lead with their heart and their yeah. passion and their curiosity, and just like they, that they, you know, th- that their work is more of a calling than it is a job. So they just can't help they can't help but talk about it, and so given the opportunity, of course, they'll take it. Um, those are definitely people that you know. I would encourage, have encouraged, and would encourage our listeners to to follow. Like, just find those people and 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 surround yourself by them. It's usually a pretty good place to start.
0: Yeah. Um, cool.
1: What else do you have going on in the in the near future? And then also tell these folks where they can find you one more time.
0: Yeah, um, a lot of work. I'm literally going back to work after this, after I get food in me right? Um, on a, I guess, personal level, because I competed in powerlifting for a couple of years, um, sort of decided that I was kind of burnt out from doing that last year, Uh, took my body fat from uh, body fat levels of super fat to slightly less fat to pretty lean this summer. Um,
1: Shredded would be more... More accurate. You got, you got more than just a little bit lean, but I could see your spleen.
0: It was definitely weird when I had like Saran wrap skin and like that kind of freaked me out a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that kind of got me pretty interested in the bodybuilding thing. Um, so that's been where a lot of my focus is, uh, right now. Um, hopefully being as mediocre of a bodybuilder as I was a power lifter. So I'll have some fun doing that. Um, and then professionally, like lots of work, at corporate gym. Um, so I'm at a Movadi in Ottawa, um, working on my own stuff as well. Um, always kind of looking for other things to educate myself with. Um, okay. I'm humming and hawing about doing the N1 program probably in 2022, which, uh, would be a bit of an undertaking because I think his headquarters is in Colorado and I'd likely fly there to do it. Uh, so it won't happen this year, but it'd probably be next year.
1: Okay. Um,
0: so that's kind of what's on the docket for me, kind of juggling, learning stuff, working, and then, uh, kind of my own athletic pursuits. If anybody wants to find me, uh, I am on Instagram, um, under evolutionperformance.ep. Uh, I was, what was I before? Ryan squat beard was sort of my personal handle for quite some time. <laughs> that's right. The beard is definitely it like
1: a distinguishing, uh, it is, uh yeah.
0: characteristic of yours. Yeah. Um, so that's where I am on Instagram. Uh, I'm not really anywhere else. Uh, currently, um, I don't really use any other social media. Um, but if anybody w- wants to see me lift some stuff, have some explanations as to how I lift that stuff, uh, as well as some, uh, shout outs with clients and whatever else, um, it's on that page. And that's Beautiful. probably the best way to reach me. Uh, Beautiful. and the goal is to do a little bit more of that in the upcoming future.
1: Beautiful. Well, I mean, um, uh, myself and, uh, many others will be watching. Um, you know, as of late, you've been wrapping things up and I, and I really like what you're sharing and in particular about how the content that you share promotes critical thinking, um, by sharing your thought process and, and, also sharing the nuance that you know exists. And I think that that's a really important trait of an educator, whether you're a formal educator, like teaching trainers, or if you're just leading from the front in the trenches with your clients, you know, I think it's a really, really, really important trait um, to not only cultivate, but also to share and normalize. Um, So
0: I personally really appreciate you doing that. And actually, sorry, not that you said that my other closing thought, if I wanted to give a uh, recommendation to trainers or advice to trainers, mm. uh, do it yourself, like lead from the front. Mm. Um, there is a habit sometimes, especially because it's uh, celebrated in the corporate gym world to just work your ass off and your own training goes second. Like I love my job. Um, I really enjoy what I'm doing. And I care a ton about the success of my clients. And I'll be the first to tell you my own training comes first. Mm-hmm. Like I literally have breaks in my day to eat. Like I have them so that I eat at a frequency um, that makes sense for my goals. I have training times booked in the middle of my day that are like non-negotiable. I think there's an element of leading from the front. A, because I think you need to, uh, like people can sniff bullshit. We talked about this, right? Like, and if you live that life, whatever it looks like, um, your clients notice that. Um, and I think the other thing too, is like, I experiment on myself all the time. I've been really interested a lot lately in manipulating stuff with food and, and nutrition or whatever else. And like, I'll read something, certain things make sense. And then I try it on myself and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Mm. Um, I goofed around a little bit in the summer and seeing what would happen if I did a, like a small water cut and pulled like six pounds of water out in like 12 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I was like, huh, that's pretty neat. And like, here's some data collection. Like here's more stuff that I can use to zero in on things that might work for me. Mm -hmm. Right. So
1: that's something that you and Chris fudge honestly do really well. I remember when we were, he and I were working together at good life plaster leans. He, he shared with us that he was essentially going through this really extreme weight cut and this really extreme diet with water cut. And at one point he was doing hot water submersions, um, you, you know, just essentially just really, really, really high humidity, yeah. um, and really hot, uh, so, you know, completely underwater. The only part of him that was above water was his nose to breathe. And he was like, man, my heart rate went crazy, but he dropped like, like, a lot yeah. of, uh, of water weight and thanks to his willingness to experiment. I almost said experiment. Uh, we'll circle back. Cause I think that could be a cool word that we'll add in. <laughs> um, <laughs> to, um, experiment thanks to, performance. Y- y- yeah, just like ditch uh, evolution performance. It's experiment performance dot EP for experiment performance. Yeah. yeah experiment. Uh, yeah. Experiment. But um, yeah. So due to his willingness to do that, he, he can speak and, and relate to his clients and athletes that are going through these similar journeys, you know? So he's not only read about it at, at length, but he's also lived it. And so he, he knows what that's like. And I think from a, from a coaching perspective, I find that is huge in that. Like I remember when I when I first started as a trainer, one of the things that my managers told me was like preframe the journey for your client. Mm-hmm. So if you're telling someone that the uh, like the body composition or the strength journey or the rehabilitation journey, if you're telling them that the journey that they're about to go on is going to be all sunshine and rainbows and that it's going to be like a linear line to success, um, you might be setting them up actually you might be actually setting them up for failure because in the vast majority of cases, like the journey isn't purely linear. And sometimes like, sometimes there's, you know, points of that journey that are really like way less pleasant, you know? Yeah. Um, and so just being able to preframe to someone that it's like, listen, like right now you're starting here, you're feeling X, Y, or Z. Eventually shit's going to hit the fan. Eventually things are going to get really tough. And that is normal. Like you don't actually need to freak out and everything's Okay that really helps with adherence because then the clients facing these challenges, knowing that they were going to be happening in the first place, you know? Yeah. And, um, like that for me, it's kind of interesting that like the conversation taking this turn and we're talking about critical thinking, because that's the thing that I, I try to tell new fitness professionals. Yeah. I try to preframe the journey that it's like at the beginning, you're going to receive systems so that you can do your job with 80% efficacy. Yeah. But eventually you're going to reach a point where those systems will no longer serve people. Mm-hmm. Eventually you're going to reach a point where you're going to like you're going to reach <laughs> to come back to the flat earth conversation where you're going to reach the edge of like the usefulness of that system mm-hmm. within the context of a given client and that eventually you're going to need to start like looking for other ways that Lie outside of that box. Yeah. Know? It's like, so yes, at the beginning, we're going to give you this, but eventually you need to be cool with discarding all of it. Yeah. And I, and that, that for me is, I think, because we can't really get away from like in, in the vast majority of instances providing structure yeah. throughout people's educational journeys, regardless of the context. So like we, we need that at a certain point. And I think especially if we can preframe and prepare people for the inevitable nuance and ambiguity that's coming their way. Um, hopefully that can normalize it, make it a little bit more acceptable and promote a little bit more critical thinking and a growth mindset um, in our industry. What do you think Amen. about that? I agree. <sighs> Beautiful. Well, listen, Ryan, I really appreciate you, you coming on. Like we are talking about, I know that you're busy with gyms opening up again. And so I'm really grateful that you took the time for this. This has been such a great time but also just like intellectually stimulating and refreshing as it always is so like i said i really appreciate you carving out the time and in the show notes i'm going to be putting all the links to where people can find you um for those that are listening ryan is a very as you can tell he's very open-minded uh, he has a really warm heart and he's more than willing to help anyone um along their journey so if you have questions for either ryan or i please don't hesitate to reach out Um, I'm quite confident speaking on your behalf on this, Ryan, that I know that you'd be totally cool with answering questions as they come your way. So, um, I would definitely encourage people to do that and to check out the work that you're doing now, as well as the journey that you're going on with, uh, not evolution performance, but what was the other word? Experiment. Experiment, experiment performance uh so yeah please check that out i'm sure that there's going to be some um, some really cool things coming down the pipeline and i'm really excited to have you on for part two
0: awesome man uh totally my pleasure
1: beautiful beautiful well on that note everyone thanks so much for your time and your attention and your keen minds and we'll talk to you all next time bye for now